Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about lock-in and specifically does Kubernetes prevent lock-in? And we had a very engaged conversation both about how Kubernetes creates lock-in and the ecosystem around Kubernetes and how using Kubernetes prevents lock-in or specifically how Kubernetes could be used to prevent lock-in. Because at the end of the day, lock-in is not a bad thing. Uh, being committed to a vendor means you get to focus on using the vendor's strengths. And trying to avoid being committed to a single vendor means that you uh, often have to work to the least common denominator or deal with heterogeneity in your infrastructure. Now, in that, heterogeneity is pretty normal and you might find that you have to do the work regardless of how you've used the infrastructure. At the end of the day, I think you'll find this conversation about Kubernetes really helpful and you will pick up some great tips on how to reduce your lock-in when using Kubernetes or to Kubernetes. Enjoy the discussion. The, the topic for today is supposed to be, uh, does, does Kubernetes help escape vendor lock-in? So a follow-up from our vendor lock-in question. No. <laughs> okay. only, only if you're uh, escaping uh, certain other vendors, you kind of locked into Kubernetes and uh, and Google hmm. at that point. <laughs> well, let's let's I, actually let's, I, I, go, go ahead, Klaus. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't even 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 go that far. I mean, <laughs> Kubernetes reduces vendor locking to a, to a certain degree. However, uh, that's only for the Medium use case, like we're, we're like small and medium companies that don't have a lot of integration. Yeah. When you get to um, larger kind of companies that need that not necessarily need the integration of the cloud platforming in in Kubernetes, but need integration of their IAM system with Kubernetes. You, you're no longer vendor agnostic. Like the the method for let's say authenticating to to RDS from in, mm -hmm. inside Kubernetes is vastly different from from the method that that you would use to authenticate to, let's say, um, like uh, Google uh, Cloud Spanner or something like that. And uh, it's, and, and they're just not portable. Like th those methods only work within their own cloud Kubernetes solutions. Uh, once you move outside, you have to fall back to like static service account uh, secrets. So, I mean, this is, this to me makes Kubernetes feel like only an inch deep when it comes to actually integrating to the clouds, right? 
is that um I'm, i mean it, it does abstract other things like for example load balancers like a load balancer is a load balancer once you have an ip inside kubernetes you don't care what, where that came from um a, a like a, a storage provider is a storage provider um so those kind of things do get abstracted and mm-hmm. if you run if you're running your cluster on-prem you get significant better abstraction and, and, and decoupling from from <coughs> from a vendor like it it, it makes it that oh. simply to, to move say uh, like from say like netapp to uh just to, to some other san uh, because yeah. it's just oh. a cni plugin and then you, you just change one string to say like okay i want to use it this this other CN, uh, csi sorry sorry not cni so that's that's a different dimension on vendor lock-in uh discussion right so i think there's a there's a and i switch kubernetes vendor question which is a lock-in question like does does using Kubernetes make it easier for me to move from Google to Amazon to Heptio, not Heptio uh, to Tanzu to uh, right? What what flavor of the day mm-hmm. Kubernetes? What you're describing, I think, is an equally valid point. Was if I'm using Kubernetes, does it abstract my storage provider in a in a meaningful way, and my DNS provider in a meaningful way, and my virtualization provider in a meaningful way? It's the same but conversation. That's, that's real. Because oftentimes people want to use abstractions to avoid the the vendor lock-in. But I think even whatever level you want to play it at, whether it's very much the the application developer-centric view or the operations-centric view, so where there's always going to be that that nuance. The moment I get past just give me vanilla Kubernetes out of the box and run from there, there's always going to be the, the secret sauce that a vendor is going to want to add whether it's a, a Tanzu or an OpenShift from a, some of the things they're trying to do in terms of simplifying application deployment to where the moment you you sort of buy in, you're effectively locked in to some degree. I mean, yeah. optimistically, uh, going back to the original question, my answer would be not yet. I, 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 I see Kubernetes as potentially facilitating like this vendor agnostic integration into IAM, for example, okay. via potentially like an operator pattern or something like that. It, it, it would be damn nice if, for example, Google were to say, okay, you run this operator in your cluster and then you can use workload identities uh, off, off mm-hmm. our cloud, just as if you were on our cloud. So I would be ex- ecstatic for that. Yeah, what you're describing is something that's funny because OpenStack went the other direction with this, and it's worth it's worth noting from from that perspective. Like, because operator pattern is super generic, um, and so and, anyway, I think it's useful, but it's not an API. So you're not saying, "Hey, I need a." Um, you know, a, a service here, and I have a standard way to define the service. Well, right now there's there's no, maybe I'm wrong, I'd love to see it, it, it but there's, there's no pattern that says, this is the API for my whatever service. Um, and therefore I can write to that API, 
back it with an operator and then become cloud portable or really not it's infrastructure portable, it's not cloud portable. Well, that, that's why I'm saying not yet. Yeah. Is there but a trend I, line for that? Is Kubernetes like, building uh, that? Isn't that what Crossplane is doing? Some of their stuff to try and make that easier? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I, I love, a lot of these problems don't don't crop up on, on again, like, like I mentioned, until you're, you're past a certain size. If, if you only manage a handful of Kubernetes clusters, you don't, you don't need to worry about this. Once you need to be able to, um, to create clusters on demand at a large scale, because your internal customers, your developers need that, or because you're operating at a scale where, where you need to manage multiple clusters at the time, that's when it, when it becomes more critical. And, and that's usually also where the vendor lock-in ends up becoming cheaper than, um, <laughs> than the staying vendor agnostic. Wait, but what you're describing though is still Kubernetes is a common layer. And then the tooling you're writing around Kubernetes allows you to have the abstractions that you need to, to you know, limit, really choose your lock-in. It's a lock-in is always where you choose to make it. So you're, yeah. you're either working um, around the lock-in or you're just embracing it. Correct. Hmm. It's, it's funny because I'm thinking back through our you know OpenStack experience. I know Rocky Rocky was in this cauldron too, and one of the things that OpenStack did because they were really strongly anti lock-in, um, they would build services for you know anything that they felt like needed was needed in the system, and then those services became projects, and then then they had their own. Um, um, Oh my goodness, there was an anti-pattern with this, which is worth mentioning. But you would build a service to say, oh, I need an abstraction for this. We're going to call it a service. We're going to run that service inside of OpenStack. And therefore, all vendors can have the same API and then have separate implementations or backing systems. I think Kubernetes was smart in avoiding that. Yeah, like they, they 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 didn't want to do to suffer from the same, the same kind of scope creep. Yeah. And a lot uh, of the Kubernetes early Kubernetes folks were escapees from OpenStack, hmm. so they had this they they had an understanding of why they didn't want to do want Kubernetes to work this way. Hmm. They'd already uh, been burned. <laughs> well, and, uh, they've, and they, they're correcting, you know, classic is overcorrecting on the other side. I think operators have emerged as a pattern. It wasn't really part of the original design idea. And then it's, it's providing a, a useful, um, a, a useful abstraction point. Mm-hmm. Um, it can, of course, be, be abused, but so far it's, yeah. it's an elegant solution to, uh, difficult problem. So if, if, does that mean that to help prevent, uh, make Kubernetes more portable, part of what 
you would do inside of a Kubernetes environment is use operators as the abstraction. I mean, I think clearly operators are the, if I'm using Kubernetes, where you put your abstraction layers. Is I, that a fair? I, I mean, that to, to, to a degree, what the cloud providers are doing is they're, they're using operators as their, um, as their integration already. Like when, right. for example, like in Google Cloud, uh, you, you create a particular CRD for a backup process for your um for uh, for your persistent volumes that that is now that crd like it, it has a spec and, and that is essentially the api equivalent for your operator it, it's your contract your operator says like okay i'm i'm going to honor this spec um now Hopefully, what we will see is that, um, or what what I would like to see is that the cloud providers would agree in the long term on a particular CRD spec for certain operations like backups, um, but doesn't need to be bound just to that. Um, whether it will happen or not. It's hard to say. I, I think we are still in in the in the early phase of operators. Like it, it is the operators are being adopted, but they're not yet yet on a, a widely established solution. Like right now, I, like every operator imp implementer is going their, their own direction. A lot of them are great. Other ones, not so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I there's I, a there's a thing that makes me nervous about operators. Maybe and maybe you can help clarify this. And, and I don't mean to turn this into an operator discussion, but actually, there's a but. I maybe I think if you're avoiding to lock in with Kubernetes, and I think you're saying operators, and I'm agreeing, operators are are the preferred path. Um. They, they make they make me sort of nervous just because they feel very ungoverned. And the fact that you are building them in the Kubernetes cluster that you're managing, it feels very, um, and I know this was the original intent. It's very, um, not inside baseball, but it's it's very, you know, built on, on top of itself. Like the Kubernetes governance infrastructure is built inside of Kubernetes. Um, not necessarily a bad mm -hmm. thing. It, but yeah, I I I'm not so concerned about that. I and, right. and that's again because I don't see Kubernetes as a single system either. I, I see Kubernetes as an ecosystem. So okay. so from that perspective, running your operator from within the ecosystem, it's acceptable. Like it's it's not the same thing as running an operator on a Docker host from, from within the same Docker runtime as the other Docker containers. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's not the same, uh, and it, 
it's not the same as, for example, running your monitoring system from within the same cluster that you're monitoring. Uh, now that is something that I I don't do. like. I, I have a separate or or multiple separate clusters sometimes um, for 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 the monitoring. So yes, it, there, there are there are degrees of this. And again, like I I agree with what one thing that you said. Uh, earlier and, and that operators are not well established yet. We, we we are in the wild west phase where where vendors are experimenting, where um, you see a lot of alternatives for the same solution. Right. And we, we're just gonna need to wait for the dust to settle and, and, and some of them to come on the top. In, Is in there some a cases missing a missing spec from that perspective to actually help like define it operator behavior, you know, because it's my, my, my feeling on operators is they're, they're sort of strange APIs because you're, you're writing into a object and then expecting downstream stuff to happen. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a strange control. I mean, it feels like a SQL trigger. Oh, I said this before, it feels like a SQL trigger <laughs> to me, which I did a lot of SQL trigger work, you know, Back in back in my earlier days, and they're incredibly hard to troubleshoot and and explain. I I don't know if I would would consider a trigger like a, I I would consider them more of an extension of the reconciliation pattern because like that that's why I see the CRDs these at is like you define within the cluster your desired state based on the spec. Right. And then your operator goes and, and, and tries to make it happen for you. And in, and in many cases, like there, there are case, there are examples of good operators as well. Like look at Argo CD for GitOps. Like, okay. like GitOps is, is perhaps uh, like at the forefront of uh, of the types of operators where things are being established, because right now. Like the, the two major vendors that you see out there are, are either Argo CD or or, or Weave. Right. Um and they're they're both very well respected. Um like yes, they, they take different approaches, but but I mean it's good to have choice. Uh it it's it's not good to have so much choice that you're that you're paralyzed by it because there's <laughs> no no clear winner out of it. So here being able to 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 narrow down the choice to one of two uh it's a it's a win for the consumers so we'll we'll see that i i expect that we will see this happening with other types of operators like databases like backup systems like um secrets integration like on on like on that front it, that, that's a very fragmented ecosystem. Like you, you have the official vault operator mm. uh, or, or agent operator injector thing, which is kind of weird. Uh, you have other systems that are more um, agnostic and, and try to integrate with, with various uh, secret systems and KMS and whatnot. Um, but the there are a lot of them that, that are not actively maintained on a regular basis. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, like you, we are at the, 
we are at, at the forefront of the, of the, this wave of change. So, oof. which makes sense, right? We're still figuring out the use cases. Mm-hmm. The, the, the key injection use case is that, I mean, is that not convert, you know, like not, I, I'm trying to think of how, how, how it would progress, right? Conceivably, CNCF should should or could come in and say, hey, we need, like they did with observability, right? Observability, maybe that's the thing to start with. The, in that case, you had three or four vendors who were like, we need a standardization to, to collect the data for observability. And then they, they were all building observability platforms. And so the yeah. easier it was for people to um, send information to them, that was that was a very beneficial ecosystem action. Yeah, what happened with open telemetry is amazing. Like right. it, you, you had again, like you said, four or five di- different major vendors who decide to agree on on a common spec for the common good. Like the, this, this is not something that you see very often, and and, and I. Like I, I was excited to, to to hear about this because it it means a lot for the community, like on uninterpretability. Really they, they built a market by collaborating, right? Figuring out that they weren't competing. Um, exactly. And and I think I think that's but of, operators are go ahead, Rocky. Part of that is because there was no very large vendor in that space. So it was a a uh, fairly new space, but if there had been an Oracle there or an Oracle and a Google or an Oracle and, you know, Oracle and anybody. Or even a data harder. dog and a log stash. I mean, that's a, right. That yeah, was exactly. the... And so, mm. yeah, having uh, essentially equals are more willing to come up with a, a standard if you will, that is useful for everybody. When you've got an uneven field already, it's a lot harder to to get the <laughs> folks who want lock in to uh, you, back off and agree on a standard. You just hit. We, we just walk straight back into the lock in conversation. So if I am, you know, one of the major cloud providers, and I'm building an operator to to interface with a service that I have. There's very, there's very little incentive or based on behavior, it seems like there's very little incentive for them to collaborate with the other, other major cloud providers to create a neutral operator or an operator pattern that's neutral. It makes it more difficult. I think the benefit, and it certainly could be wrong, I think with the observability was a lot of the underlying components were the same. Um, so a lot of them were, were using Prometheus and a lot of the same underpinning technologies, whereas with the, the the cloud vendor example, a lot of them want to show the differentiation in their storage, in their additional services, and you sticking uh, an overlay on top of it that makes us all look the same isn't beneficial. Especially if it has to at least come denominator it. Yes. Yeah, which is, which is where we always end up at when people want to talk about no vendor lock-in or I want to be able to deploy a workload to any cloud at any time. Hmm. Well, this was like I, I saw this firsthand um, with some of the DNS stuff in OpenStack. Is that they, there was a provider who wanted to um, be very active, but they needed 
um, the community wanted that project to only rely on um, an open source DNS infrastructure that was way defeatured. And so it they, they got really stuck because some of the features that customers wanted couldn't be implemented with the open source version of that, but effectively as an operator. Um, and, and so it took a long time to get that project off the ground. Um, it's an interesting balance for lock-in because sometimes, right, if, if you're creating lock-in on the least common denominator, is that is that helpful? You know, yay, I've avoided lock-in, but boo, it's the least. I mean, is that the price for, for avoiding lock-in? Usually you go through too much effort just to get you to the least common denominator in terms of a, a system architecture that you've almost effectively spent more time trying to, to work around a, a, seeming, a seemingly something that was a problem when you could have just gone double down on the, the challenge of vendor lock-in. Or, or worse than that, you sacrifice something. And as we've discussed at the beginning, like many cases that sacrifice is security. Ooh, yeah. It, one of the things that's interesting about the operator pattern, I guess APIs can do this too, is um, it does give you the flexibility to say, here's the base components for the CRD, and then you could have you know open-ended additions to that CRD. So it, you could, you know, some of this is API design. Does that, does that make sense? I can easily see a case where you... Yeah, yeah say, you can extend it, but I think you get into that unwieldy scenario of depending upon who's doing the design and the management of, well, how do we define, does every, every sort of top-level component have to be generic, or can I specify an optional vendor-specific component? And then you start getting into the, the whole craziness of where, where your least common denominator starts at and then goes up from there. This is well. This is what we saw in the industry for Redfish, um, which is the server out of band management spec. Is that they they defined a, a LCD, least common denominator, um, a functionality with a sort of an object format, and then the vendors, you know, the vendors have ways to extend from that perspective. Um, but then you get into the question of what's the value to the consumer. In that case, there's the the one effectively the one endpoint. <laughs> but as a as a consumer, is me let's say in a, as a very generic example, writing two YAML files that are fifty percent the same is that better than two files that are, are smaller or shorter or more succinct, and they're only. 2% the same, something like that. What question becomes, what's the value in that? You nailed the problem. No, that I, I, it's funny because I'm, you're, you're exactly right. Like I'm thinking just on Redfish. It's like, I'm glad that the spec is, has the same base root, but that it's not like an inher uh, object inheritance necessarily in this case. It's like, you still have to put in the stuff that you need for the different vendors and so you haven't gotten out of paying attention to the differences and the least common denominator piece is not you know it, there's not a lot of value in a in a least common denominator if you still have variants on top of it every every single time um, yeah to especially unlock the things that you need it'd be oftentimes it'd be one thing if like 
90% of the time, I can go with the least common denominator definition and I don't need to change it. But in a lot of these cases, it's I can maybe use that 10% of the time, 5% of the time, the same, but usually it's the specific vendor capability that I'm looking for. Oh, boy. So now we're full circle back to Kubernetes is a great API that would let you use your, you know, maybe use tooling that's the same, definitely skill sets that are the same. But once you start spinning things up, this class, this is your point, you're going to bump into, I need to actually understand the environment I'm running pretty darn fast. Yeah. Well, again, like it, it largely depends on the level of integration with the environment that you do. Like it, you can you can be agnostic, and you you can minim or you can reduce the effort of being agnostic, but it comes with a risk. Like for example, like if you run your stateful sets or your stateful data inside the cluster, then you don't need to interact with RDS or or, or Spanner right. or, or or whatever, and on that. Sure, it will make your system portable, but then you need to worry about the data integrity of your stateful data. You need to do your backups. You, you need to potentially run your backup system in cloud, in like inside the, the Kubernetes cluster, which yes, there, there are operators to do that, do a better or lesser degree sometimes. Um, you need you need to figure out also like okay what do I do if like if if this runs out of space like some some cloud providers let you dynamically resize their, their volumes like most of them like your persistent volumes which is great but you still need to monitor them and, and resize them on demand um, versus again like. RDS, which may have an other size option. So you're hmm. you're sacrificing long-term maintainability uh, for um, for for the ability to to lift and unshift your 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 system to change change the yeah. inventors. But now now to go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Like, to be fair, now, now putting on like the my 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 apologist hat for that is <laughs> g- given the issues we've seen with cloud providers over the past six months, perhaps that little extra effort is worth it. <laughs> yeah. And and so this is something where you pay lots of you pay consultants lots lots of money to dis- determine what the risks are, where the risks are, and uh, that tells you whether you do it or not based on what the customer load loads uh, and needs are. Because it does, you know, like Klaus said, it, it reduces it in exchange for some complexity and some adding extra stuff. And that works for people who need that sort of stuff. But if you don't... Uh, then you can get away with uh, being locked in at the cloud level and just being able to work with it. I mean, hmm. kind of. 
like for instance, one of the things that um, way back when, when I was working at a company that was doing both hardware and software, uh, I took on some IT stuff on owning machines and it's okay. What, how fast do we need to be back up if something goes down? And the question was, could we, do we need to be up in an hour? Do we need to be up in a day? Uh, and with RAID and whatnot, was RAID enough to, uh, if a disk disc goes out on a RAID and you have to recopy, can you live with that? Or do you need something more extensive? And so, yeah, you, you do the, the calcs and, and look at the stresses in the, in the particular business to say whether you need the, which performance is good enough. And that's the key is what's good enough. Right. It requires honesty though, which is, I think, especially with Kubernetes, at least some of the conversations I've had with some people uh, is they're, they're looking at multi-cloud spanning Kubernetes clusters and workloads across multiple clouds, and they haven't even got it started with a single Kubernetes cluster. And so I think t- there's some portion of the industry, like where companies think that they're Netflix and they're Google and like, they're not, and they don't want to be honest with themselves. <laughs> the old, we need somebody who has five years experience uh, in a field that's six months old. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the- the the the, the multi multi region cluster also is it's a very contentious field because mm-hmm. that like Kubernetes tries to train you to decouple your services as much as possible to 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 make them horizontally scalable and now there's all this effort being made into it, and instead of, instead of trying to do the the scaling across multiple clusters like like uh, independent clusters in in each region mm-hmm. there's now all, all this, this effort being done in into coupling these clusters in, in, in all of these regions which I f- feel is counterintuitive oh. like yeah that, they're, they're, that's a good way to make yourself fragile yeah no no there's 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 definitely use cases for it like edge computing for example where like if 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 all you need to do is be able to say, I want a central place to to like to, to roll out uh, workloads uh, like across multiple regions, and, and it's just like a set and forget kind of thing. Then yes, you 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 can do that. Uh, you could also ju- just manage our, like it, everything in the GitOps way from from a central location. But sure. um, yeah, it. it 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 feels like the we were like there's some vendors that that, that are leading us towards a progression like not not so much a technological progression but an ideological progression. Huh. More enterprises starting to use Kubernetes. Well, the the question I was going to drive to was as we get more. I mean, Kubernetes has exceeded critical mass without a doubt. Some of some of what we're describing, some of the the you know non-lock-in features are will just be added as you know vendor vendor tooling around or on top of Kubernetes. Um, yeah. and that's you know certainly and and there's a value because if you're running you know a lot of teams with a lot of different Kubernetes clusters, having tooling that in, 
ensures consistency across that. It's not just not lack of lock-in, it's actually consistency in operation. And if you are, you know, we're seeing an emergence of a market, an ecosystem, or Kubernetes governance. Consistency is sometimes part of the problem too. Because like, particularly like as Martha said, like enterprises moving into Kubernetes, they're trying to enforce consistency across their legacy and their, their Kubernetes workers. Like Kubernetes is a fundamental paradigm shift in, in, in how you treat your workloads. Uh, and trying to make that consistent with your legacy workloads is po- possibly one of the reasons why we're seeing the, this regression in, 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 in intra and intersystem coupling. And and that's why I laugh when Martez said that, because it's like, yes, you hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's And the other thing we're going to see and I'm sure we've already seen, is you've got these companies that are going to take Kubernetes and they're going to want to do their own special sauce on top of it to provide lock-in. So it's kind of the open core design again. So there are all these companies that have been enterprise companies that have now are now using, uh, well, have been selling to enterprise companies who are now using Kubernetes and rolling stuff on top of it to keep their super secret sauce to to get vendor lock in that way. So mm-hmm. you've got companies used to feeding enterprise that are now in the Kubernetes mix. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and those companies, at least from, from my personal experience, I, I'm not going to claim that it's universal, but from my perspective, those companies are very aggressively targeting the early part of the software developer software development lifecycle. They're, they're trying to, to get the lock-in before you hit CI/CD. Arguing that's the value point. It's it's almost everybody can run a Kubernetes cluster, so what? But can we make it easier? For you to get your apps into a cluster, yeah, uh, not, not just getting your apps into a cluster, but but make it eat like a, a lot of the the secret sauce vendors, like Teleport, for example, mm-hmm. are like, how can you m- make it so that your developers can develop inside the Kubernetes cluster as if they're on their local machine? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, yep. Let's say they're simply solving the local development problem. Well, they, 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 they're, they're targeting the, the, the problem that, that, that many companies are having when, when adopting Kubernetes is that, uh, again, it's a paradigm shift. Like, yeah. like when, when you're deploying to a VM, you, you, can, you have an environment that is very similar to your local machine because it, it's an equivalent OS. Once you once you dip into Kubernetes, it it is a very different feeling, and if and, and there is a a system shock when when moving into that with, with developers, like it, it it takes them a time to get like quite a time to get used to that, 
And many, many developers, unfortunately, in my experience, are resistant to change. Like, I've done it always this way and it always worked. Why do I need to change? Why can't the system change to fit my needs? Uh, and that is a very prof profitable demographic. Yes. <laughs> and that's been true for all the decades I've been in in software, it's the developers who are the least willing to take on new paradigms, new languages, new tools. There was a, and, and we need to wrap up, but there was a really good, um, what A18Z or 16, A16Z uh, post about the 90% developer. If you haven't seen that, I would, the, what what they argued is that the that we we spend a lot of time focused on developers who are looking for new tools and changing things and and at the forefront, but most the vast vast majority of of developers are not interested in doing anything but getting their job done and going home. And they're, they're, they're the silent, forgotten. I, I think the same thing is true for operators, right? There's, yeah, there's relatively there's not, not, few. Nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with it. It's it, what what they were actually saying is that you're missing the market if you're mm -hmm. chasing the shiny, you know, vocal, loud social media de developer or operator. You are you are missing the much bigger uh, part of the iceberg. Yep. Exactly. For this. That's why COBOL still exists. Yeah, well, I think I, I don't think inertia is a bad thing. No, I think that's. But you, and this this is something a friend of mine learned when he became a manager at Sun, and what he learned was just because I'll put in the extra work doesn't mean any of the folks who work for me are willing to put in that extra time and energy. They just want to do their work and go home. And so the first quarter he was a manager was disastrous because he expected from his people what he would provide rather than what they really would were willing to provide. Mm, good lesson. Thank you, guys. Right. Thank you, Rocky. Thanks for the yeah. kind words. Cheers. Wow, I love these Kubernetes discussions that we have because they're very balanced in looking at Kubernetes as an ecosystem, but not being so dazzled by it that we think it solves all the problems without work and without lift and without discipline. Uh, and that's important. I think that when we talk about development and operations, uh, understanding how those systems fit together is really important. And uh, I got a lot of that out of this conversation. I hope you did too. And I would encourage you, please join us. Uh, it's really simple to sit down, come in, be part of the conversation. Uh, we want to hear your questions and your thoughts. So please you know, visit us at the 2030.cloud and participate in one of these roundtables. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. 
because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.